welcome to the 9642 podcast. This is your host, Mr. Number 9. And this is The Fool. This is where me and The Fool give our unqualified and unrequested ramblings on the various issues in the world of sport. Or something like that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our end of year slash beginning of year <laughs> review of the previ- uh, of the year that has been. Yeah. When- Last year we recorded it on literally the last day of the year. Yeah. Um, year, um, unfortunately, we were all busy with various things that needed mm-hmm. to get done. So we're finally, things have settled down enough, and we can get on with the podcast. Yeah. Uh, thanks everyone for your patience, and look forward to doing it. So we're going to review the year 2022. We're going to go through what we think were the biggest moments in terms of what's going to impact and go down in history for the sport yeah yeah uh, for sports in general um obviously it's with our biases we've yeah the group of sports and what we like um but yeah uh these are the things we think are gonna be things we keep talking about that happened this year yeah uh, very important so in uh in first we're gonna go in uh, they're all important nothing's less important than the other but we're just gonna 10 most important so, this yeah. is, so first of all, we're going to talk about the big Kahuna yeah. event everybody was talking about for ten years till it, twelve years till it finally happened. Yeah, exactly. World Cup in Qatar, 2022. Yeah. Well, oh. I think it was a great tournament, um, football-wise. We had yes, exactly. Great, um, lots of highlights for us. Uh, incredible to see. People your children's age talk about their technical oh, no. about football. Oh no, they were and well into it. They were very into the, the whole tournament, and yeah, they followed it quite well. Absolutely, just it's just interesting to me to see how, like you know, back in when I was Liam's age, I think I could barely just about follow football. <laughs> it was in my head a very slow sport. I had to slowly. I could stay up through test cricket matches more than I could watch football games. All right. But he's well into it, knew all the players, knew what positions they were good in and where you could play them. Um, yeah. And of course, uh, Connor, who's a few years younger, just went, yeah, but in FIFA, he's got a higher rating, so he's <laughs> a better player. Which, you know, it's un- inarguable at the end of the day. <laughs> exactly. That logic. No. Exactly. I can't really argue with the FIFA ratings. So the uh, the foot tournament is great for people of all ages. Um, mm-hmm. but to, obviously, it's very controversial off the field, but I think yes. reflectively we have to think about which tournament hasn't been controversial off the field. We wrote about off the field issues about the last two World Cups. Yeah, exactly. Uh, not, not much people highlighted this in the mainstream media. Um, obviously, the 2010 World Cup as well, but we weren't doing a podcast back no. then. I was about to say, yeah. wasn't as though the 2010 one wasn't its own um, uh, yeah. storm and outside of it. Yep, and the 2006 one and 2002 one. There's not been an uncontroversial World Cup, maybe ever. <laughs> uh, just... It wouldn't be football if there wasn't controversy, right? Yeah. And like with off-the-field issues, I yeah, think yeah. Qatar... Uh, uh, has hi- highlight uh, has highlighted maybe a bit of hypocrisy about the way journalists cover it. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to different people hosting the tournament, 
That being said, the one, the only, Lionel Messi, he's clocked the game. He's clocked the game. He's 100% achievements. 100% achievements. Um, I think we can... Is he now got the second... Is he the second best international football player in terms of, like, international career? Alone. If all we're counting is international career. We know yeah. we're never going to solve the GOAT debate. Everybody will have their good yeah. arguments for different players. But I think we all agreed the late Pelé uh, was the GOAT of international football. Like, yes. no question whatsoever. No question. Yeah. And but I think still is the case. Yes, exactly. Three World Cups, yeah. uh, final of a Copa America, the only one he got to play in. Um, and obviously an incredible international record for for the one of the most storied international football teams in any sport. Um, uh, but Lionel Messi, is he second now? Without a question? Yeah, I think so. Oh. Yeah, I th- it's hard to, hard to say otherwise. Yeah, mm. I mean, Diego Maradona's won two World Cups. He has, as I say, it was two World Cups for Maradona, so... Um... World Cups for Ronaldo too, but Diego and Ronaldo have both were both didn't play in their first World Cup. They were basically young kids who were in yeah, the yeah. squad. Um, like Ronaldo described his as being like it was like going to university. It was finishing school. I got to hang out with the pros. Nice. <laughs> um, they, just, they thought that I, I was gonna be a good player for the team in the future, which obviously yeah, yeah. he's a baby goat so, yeah. of Brazilian football. So there you go. Yeah, th- someone was right. <laughs> they said that. Yeah. That was some good. Yeah, and obviously he's been, obviously he's been to, th- uh, he's played in two finals, and yeah. what a comeback! Yeah, um, exactly. To come back and win, like when the way he did, like basically on, you know, at one point where he couldn't walk, and six months later he's w- lifting the World Cup trophy. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Rightfully player of the tournament and yeah. like scored double. Um, yeah, I mean, this, the second best, uh, there's a lot of thing. I think certain, uh, Kylian Mbappe might have a word to say to us as well. Yes, I can imagine in the future that, um, in the not very distant future, maybe in four years time, in fact, Mr. Mbappe may be knocking on the door of, of these conversations and saying, hey, look at my collection. Look at me. Absolutely. Um, but, uh. It's still an incredible achievement. Uh, very happy to see such a great player who's given us such great moments throughout the years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, win the trophy that uh, just, I think, at least elevates him as the Argentina's GOAT. Yeah, pretty much close to. I think that's yeah. the that was the memes, was him being lifted up to to yeah. be alongside Maradona. So, yeah. I think it's hard in Argentina to replace Maradona. Like that's a, he's he is beyond a lot of things. But Messi is pretty much there now. So. Yeah, absolutely. But that was our big thing: the World Cup, Messi, um, that that whole tournament, and a bunch of other things. I think that tournament has revolutionised a lot of the ways we watch sport as well. Um, yeah. I think we're going to look back at it and the way journalism works for sport. Um, mm-hmm. So much walking, so much the way we reviewed it. Um, turn it like, yeah, our first African team to make a semi-final. Yeah. Um, so many of the Middle Eastern teams doing very well and Asian teams doing very well. 
Exactly. So I think uh, overall, great tournament. So can't wait. Like, this is what World Cups make us feel like. We can't wait for the what, next one. Yeah, exactly. Um, movie God, like, the only thing that that comes close to the impact of the big kahuna uh, is combination. Women's sport this year, team sport specifically. Yeah. So much happening, so much, I think, punter people who I think a lot of it we have to get uh, COVID where we sat everybody sat at home with nothing to do but watch sport and yeah. content and I think people got used to watching a lot of women's team sport like okay there's a few teams here that have always had a following um, but women's team sports that uh, have really imp uh, improved in coverage and people supporting them uh, we had the uh, Cricket World Cup won by yep. the mighty Australians again. Um, again, yes. Cricket ODI World Cup. Um, we are, and this thing is continuing on with so much, uh, um, so much attention on women's sport. Uh, we're yep. currently going through the first ever under 29s, sorry, under 19s uh, uh, women's cricket World Cup, which already had a few upsets, so great performances by a team, and still going on. Um, then there's the, and it's going to be followed on by another T20 Women's World Cup. Yeah, we yeah. had the Rugby League World Cup, which also threw up some incredible upsets. Yeah, yeah. And great performances. And then we had the two big ones. We had the Women's Euros. Yeah. Won by the Lionesses and the, the, the Rugby World Cup, because the Rugby World Cup doesn't gender its tournaments. Nice. 20, 20, uh, 2021 Rugby World Cup, because it was supposed to be played yeah. last year in New Zealand, but it's, it's played now. Um, uh, well, one by the Black Ferns and one by the Lionesses. Um, two, these are, for us, big moments as well, both of these things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as separate from the whole attention to women's sport. It's going to continue. The effects, I think, the fact that we're seeing things like currently the WIPL yeah. getting $150 million for their TV rights. It's incredible. Some that is incredible. W Some of those WIPL teams are getting bought for more than the, the IPL teams were bought for back oh. in the day. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, actually. So You're right. how much the sport, like the sport of cricket has moved on and what we all knew was going to happen if, you know, if, uh, if the IPL finally did a women's tournament, it would make money and it would do well and i think credit to the bcci they have done it properly they managed to get a good tv deal yeah they've instead of linking them to the franchises and giving the the current franchise owners the opportunity to you know buy into the teams they went nope it's going to be its own thing it's a separate identity and we go on from there it'll be interesting to see if that was the right play but i think it feels like the right play it does feel like the right play to me as well like it does just felt like if it just got tacked on it i mean the new zealand super smash and the the big bash have women's teams as well but it that that I, that's part I, of the same ones right and so it sort of feels like it's the double hitter but it always sort of feels like tacked on a bit like oh yeah we gave women's sport well going no I it's its own thing with its own window and everything it's just like yeah it's gonna be better to be fair, Super Smash and uh, Big Bash. Uh, Super Smash is not a franchise tournament. No, it no. The it's a provincial one. So it makes sense. Teams. So that's okay, and that makes sense. And these women's team have, teams have been around forever, so it makes sense. Yeah. Not, 
uh, like you know, they've been, we've been playing women's cricket in New Zealand forever, so that's yeah. not. I think more it's just that the they. Big bash, I think it improved. The women's big bash improved, and I think became a bigger thing than the men's big bash now oh, because yeah. it's separated. Like they went, okay, we're do it. We're run by our. Sure, we're still the same name franchises, but we run our tournaments at different times. And that's we do the, it. the thing that sort of worked well there. Like the mm. New Zealand one, because it's it's always the same. It's like the, you know, they had, Otago versus Central, men's and women's. Um, today in Otago, it was the same teams playing the same place at the same time. Yeah, like, double headers all the time. Which it I yeah. I understand why they do that in New Zealand because mm. getting cricket crowds oh. is hard enough. And just getting the teams around as well. Games, like get it, yeah, and getting the domestic, you know, especially for domestic games. Yeah. As great a tournament as Super Smash is, I think it's a great, great. Oh. It's really entertaining, really Don't... good, both for men's and women's. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that the tournament itself is bad or there's not reasons why it's happening. I was just looking, yeah. thinking from the IPL point of view, from the WIPL point of view, that they went the same model of just either mm. attacking, you know, the games were the same franchises and just there were double headers all the time. And it was just, then it would sort of cheapen, well, cheapen's not the right word, but it would sort of just get too merged in and it might get lost. Or if it yeah. does its own thing with its own franchise's own structure, then. It's two separate things, and it can't be. It won't get lost in it. It can still be compared, and it still will be compared. That's just yeah. how I think the time work, for but... double headers in big tournaments is gone, right? I mm. think the first two women's World Cup, T20 World Cups that were played alongside the men's ones, that was good. It gave the sport much needed, like, you know, attention, and especially like when the women's team won the world, women's West Indies women's team won the uh, rugby world, won the sorry the T20 World Cup, and then right after that game, the men's team were inspired. You know, they were cheering them on at the sidelines, and then they came out and then won the most unforgettable uh, T20 World Cup final ever with the Carlos Brathwaite. Yeah, remember yeah. that name. <laughs> remember the name. Remember the name finals, which you know, like. That was historic, but you know we don't need to do that at the T20 World Cup anymore. I don't think like no. the women stand up on their own. People happy to go to their games. Um, yeah, even people like my dad, who's an avid cricket follower, is just like, yeah, women's cricket is just cricket. It's good to watch. Yeah, it's yeah. Good. And he actually likes a lot more of women's cricket before because it was a more technical game. There was a lot more running around for singles, passing, you know. Yeah manipulating the field because there wasn't as much of a power game. It will come in women's yeah. sport. Oh, 100% will come. I was going to say, my dad likes the women's Super Smash better than the men's Super Smash. He'll actually watch a game of the, the women's game um, yeah. over the men's game. Just for that pure reason. Like, it's actually a, a, a say, a more technical game. It has, you know, It's not just who can hit the ball, just swing the bat and hit it as hard as you can and, you know, there is a room for there is room for finesse in yeah. the women's game. It makes things like ring fielders important because you're doing chip shots and you know, yeah. trying to manipulate the field for singles. Whereas like the men's game, we know like the meta, quote unquote, is that <laughs> they have to be at the bound. The best fielders have to be at the boundary. Yeah. Uh, and the and you are constantly trying to do you know. Yeah, you're, very few players are able to rotate the strike very, very well and hit sing. You know, the AB de Villiers like you're hitting singles yeah. all around the ground. You don't do dot balls. You just do singles and boundaries. Like that's very few players. Cause like there's, there's him and Pritvi Shaw basically <laughs> two players. 
I was going to um, say, the, the epitome of that for me is the debate about Kane Williamson not playing T20s in New Zealand. Him being the best New Zealand batsman, pretty much yes. of all time. And we have a debate about, you know, and a, and a fairly solid reasoning for him not playing T20s. Yes. And it's like, that's, to me, that's an example of of where the men's meta is, right? It has to be, it's hit big or go home. It, there is no in-between. Forget Kane Williamson. Joe Root, who is <laughs> arguably a better T20 player than Kane Williamson, yeah. does not, nobody even debates that he shouldn't be in the T20. Yeah. And he's arguably the best cricket batsman in the last two years. Yeah, that's actually, that's a good point. Joe Root's the, the best example of it. But yeah. The, and, yeah. They're the best cricket batsman right now, and no, he doesn't play T20, so nobody thinks he should. Yes. So the sport, it's very much a different meta for the men's game. Mm. Um, so I think the women's game does benefit from that. Um, now, we're specifically moving on to the Black Ferns. I think yeah. it's like a very much a coming-of-age tournament for them. I'm, mm-hmm. They've been very dominant in the game. I remember the first time the Black Ferns won the World Rugby World Cup when I was still in high school. Um, I think 1998. Something like that. Well, they technically had some before. I think 98 was the first official, official um, Rugby World Cup that was sanctioned by um, international rugby. So they went back and I think they've since gone back and there was a a 90... There might have been a 92 one or a 93 one. And then it was the 98 one. There was a weird timing. There's one before that now has been... That wasn't official at the time, but now has been like retconned and like, actually, that's the official first one. But that was still one by New Zealand anyway, so it doesn't matter. Oh, well, until New Zealand won that Rugby World Cup, I think the big, the most successful team internationally were the USA at uh, rugby, women's rugby. Yeah, well, that's... Um, yes. Uh, there was women's rugby at, like, at Olympics and stuff earlier, I think. If I'm... No, I'm thinking something else, but it's okay. only been a rugby... Oh, uh, yes. Before the 2016 Olympics, I think rugby... No, it wasn't. Was that was something else I was thinking of, but there was something else that they had amateur tournaments. And that was also won by the USA. Yeah. They were technically Olympic champions. Yes, that's right. And the, uh, but the Black Friends have basically carved out their own identity. Mm. Like, when I, when they won the Rugby World Cup in 1998, they weren't even called the Black Friends. They were the women, the New Zealand women's rugby team. Yeah. I think, Um, and we didn't have like they didn't have a place like the most popular women's sports team in New Zealand was probably the Silver Ferns and they yeah. probably possibly still are like I still really like the Silver Ferns and yeah, yeah. their um, but I think the Black Ferns have carved like rugby purists now really like watching the yeah. Black Ferns I think the important thing They're is not, that the yeah. Black Ferns have, have carved their own space out Unique yes. to the All Blacks, like it's, yes. it's not just the women's All Blacks. Like, oh, that's the no. the women's team. They like the All Blacks, but they're women. Like, no, they're the Black Ferns. Yeah. yeah. They're not. They're not the quote unquote the Lady All Blacks or something like that. Yeah, yeah. They're their their own entity, and I think they have been for a while. But I think this is the first World Cup where the New Zealand public got to see it and like experience it and like embraced it. Well, the important thing is, this is the first World Cup down our end of the the, yes. of the world, right? And all the other ones have been in Northern, Northern Hemisphere, Europe. Yes. So it has been, you know, 
New Zealand wasn't here on our back door, wasn't in our face, wasn't in our time. So it sort of got ignored and didn't, you know. Um, the, the Black Ferns one, like, oh yeah, the Black Ferns one, good, good for them. Um, yes. But now we got to see it, we got, and more importantly, got to see Black Ferns rugby up close and their own unique styles and their own unique philosophies and their own unique playing, yeah. like who they are as characters as well. And so that yeah. they were. I think. I think also like the fact that there were two very different philosophies in that final, that England team, yeah. the the Roses and the Black Ferns had very different philosophies, and the Roses seemed to ha have a lot of the same philosophy as the English rugby team, strong forward line, you know, battering. It's when the English team want to play at their best. Yeah, it is very much. Uh, yeah, I thought the 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 Roses. Yeah, were very much the English team. Like dialed up to eleven, the whole forward play just like we're just going to really double down on our our forward yeah. play, and it's really good. Absolutely. Just really and I, I think the reason the All Black friends are different from the All Blacks, they're not playing K KBA, where you keep the ball alive, you know, at mm -hmm. all costs, and they're not obsessed with space the way All Blacks are, and you know, the whole what phase of play are you in, where do you need to move? Their play, a very very well, and I don't mean this as an insult, like a very, very well-developed version of play, you know, like how we would play a rugby game and like, you know, as a uh, in the paddock and uh, like yeah. fun. Like yes. there's a lot of joy in that game. Like they're doing stuff because they want to and they enjoy it. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, th that is, and you listen to them and I've been reading the Ruby Toru book. Um, yeah. But that is the underpinnings of the Black Ferns, is go out there and, and play with joy. Um, I think that's the best way to, to describe them. And they, you say, it's a very well-defined and very well-practiced and very well-drilled version of that. But it is very much yeah. them looking at what what are our strengths? How do we, and what do we enjoy doing if we're out in the field? How do we develop a game plan around that that wins? And they really, and then they drill through that so that whoever steps onto it, which onto the field they are they know what they need to do because it's the thing that comes natural to them and the thing that they can express themselves with so that they that's why it comes out the way it does because they just are all out there and that means they can play as a team and the crazy thing is as you say the black ferns are perhaps one of the most dominant teams of women's rugby um in terms of historical but they were yes. so this tournament were the underdogs and they were the underdogs and yeah. i think also like the Black Ferns seem to still have room for individuality in that team. Yeah. With with the team player as well. Like, the Black... All Blacks are very much a machine. You fit in the cog of oh, that yeah. machine. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing that people sort of grabbed hold of with the Black Ferns. Is that, as you say, they're all individuals. They're all their own people. They And they're playing their football. As opposed to the yeah. All Blacks, which is, yeah, very much a machine. There is the All Blacks way and you need to fit into that and no matter how you actually play it at super rugby or provincial level or whatever doesn't matter you're in the all blacks team this is your role this is how you're playing this is the bit we're doing and there are variations on those roles so that they can fit and change and that normally is the year or two after a world cup and that's the you know when the all blacks are rebuilding or whatever because some people have retired and that's them really it's the all blacks figuring out what the new cogs in the machine need to be like do we need to change any of these can we do we have a new cog that fits straight into this or do we need to retinker everything that's always a little bit of the you know like last year for them 
not quite working at them returning the machine, but it'll come back. But the black ferns are not a machine. They don't. They, as you say, they feel. You feel the personalities. You feel the players, and they just are out a, there. It's a homemade recipe. You mm. feel like every time you make it, it's slightly different than yeah. before. Like exactly. I know what blacks are gonna do roughly, you know. Yeah. Personnel every time they go out to play. I don't realistically know what the black ferns are gonna do every time. I have an idea. Yeah. But you know, it'll taste different every time. I think like, the difference. Yeah, as I say, I think with the the all blacks, you you know what's gonna happen, as you say. It's how well are they going to perform, and that's what you're watching. Is like you know exactly what each player should be doing, and mm. you sort of. The, the the faults are where you can see them not doing that thing. Black ferns, you don't know what each player is going to do, but you know what the result is. You know you say you know what they're making, you know where they're, what the end result is going to be, but it's going to be different. The recipe is going to be slightly different. That ingredient, or they might throw a pinch of one spice in just for the fun of it, and something else. And so watching it unfold is is the joy, right? You like, you know vaguely what they probably what they you know. You know what the recipe is for, therefore what the outcome will basically look and taste like. But yeah. the method of getting there and the exact outcome is unknown, and, and it's a mm. joy to watch it unfold. Yeah, and I think that's why there's a room for individuality. Like sometimes mm. you just can play around with the ingredients a little bit. Exactly. Like you wouldn't like if using this recipe analogy, the All Blacks would be like, you know, a restaurant, like either a chain or a, you know, a high-end restaurant where uh, yeah. it tastes the same every time, otherwise you'll be disappointed like, you know, you went to have this meal. It's you a don't want to have... Yeah. yeah. It's a Michelin-style restaurant where the Michelin, you know, it, it needs to taste the same each time. Or even top. not a Michelin-style, even if you went to your local restaurant, mm -hmm. like your local like, high takeaway or, yeah. you know, if you went there and the food tasted radically different, or even slightly different, you'd be like, mm, it wasn't good this time, yeah. right? Like, you, th their goal is to give you a flavor that's the same every time in yeah, yeah. life. Yeah. My analogy was going to go further with the Black Ferns were like the Michelin star um, chef's home, where they go yeah. back and they just, you know, yeah. have a bit of fun throwing shit. Still the same high quality output, but it yeah. could be radically different. It may not taste... You know, it may taste different, and they may try a new thing and be like, "This is this is where we're trying." You know, kind of sort things out. And oh, actually, we got this new thing over here. Let's try, let's chuck that in and see how that works. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that's what makes them fun to watch, even for like non-purists like me and who are not that big followers of rugby. But they, I definitely like enjoyed watching them play and you know, following them. That oh, was definitely good. Um, in, in the same vein, I think we go to our next bit, the Lionesses. Now, yeah. I think the Lionesses have been big for a while. They've finally managed to win a national trophy for England after so long. Yeah. Um, they finally, it finally came home. Yeah, something <laughs> came home. <laughs> something came home. Uh, it's great <laughs> to see them celebrate. Um, they've, once again, they've got their own identity that's very different to the England men's team. Um, mm -hmm. They're... And I think, like, 2021, the, with the Euros, the men's team went very far, but, like, the, the after-effects of the finals left a very sour taste in everybody's mouth. And I think yeah. the Lionesses, given, like, the tumultuous things going on in the UK at the moment, like, off, uh, you know, politically, like, the uncertainty politically and 
you know, we had big moments like uh, the, qu uh, the Queen passed away and yeah, all these yeah. other lionesses were like this big bright spot in their summer that, you know, that everybody united the whole country, like gave everybody a lift. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's like the first time a women's team has done that for a, uh, for a country. Like, obviously, the Black Ferns did it here a few months later, but just it's not, you know, uh, you don't usually see... Uh, when a country has a really prominent men's team in a code, it's very difficult for the women's team to do, you know, find their space in that cultural yeah. zeitgeist and where they belong. And I think the Lionesses... They have been slowly building up that way, and it's come to fruition. Like, all their hard work, like, you know, if you follow women's sport, and obviously it's you know, been railing forever about things like how Manchester United didn't have a women's team for, for years until they decided to have one and then bought everybody else's good players, um, which is what... <laughs> you know, the opposite of what they do for the men's team. <laughs> uh... But it's all worked really well for the team. I think they've deserved all their plaudits, all their flowers, and I think it was a feel-good moment for everyone, I think. Not just uh, people in England. Yeah, no, but. 100%. Like, it was just one of those those moments in time where it just all sort of condensed, I guess. Yeah. Speaking of England, we the next two things on our calendar are going to be talking about England and cricket because they have had a year <laughs> yes. they... but I'm going to credit this to two Kiwis from the mainland obviously because that's where all the good ideas in cricket come from the <laughs> mainland right yes. <laughs> uh, two, bo uh, two boys from the South Island uh, Baz McCollum and Ben Stokes. Yeah. Um, it's that's a match made in heaven, I think. I I have, was very wary of Ben Stokes becoming England captain. Like this has been previous issues when England have had a bad spell. They go and take the team's talisman, who happens to be an all-rounder. So when Ian Botham was uh, captain, he had a terrible run. Mm. Um, like it's in. People forget that what we now call the Botham's Ashes back in 1981, he was the captain for the first two tests, which they lost horribly, and he played yeah. horribly. And then they yeah. brought back Mike Brearley, who apparently, like, was... The first thing he came in was mock Botham <laughs> all the time to inspire him to start playing and get, yeah, yeah. forcing him to bowl and everything. And then he obviously played the two, two matches, which were incredible. Yeah. and helped them win the Ashes back 3-2. So, and then, but he wasn't captain. Like, it was a, he, you know, he was, a, he had hit rock bottom being captain. And uh, Andrew Flintoff, who was the talisman of the team that won the 2005 Ashes, mm. um, got made captain after Michael Vaughan retired through injuries. And he, look, he won a series in India. Credit to him for doing that. Uh, but then, you know, it, things went badly for him, and then they lost the Ashes 5-0, and yeah. he had a pillow incident. It, it all went horribly. Um, and it ended in... And he, you know, it, it's just a lot of work for an all-rounder talisman person to also be the captain of the team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Ben Stokes, it had that written 
I felt like, uh, but you know, he completely disproved it. Uh, yeah. With I think the right coach. I think Brendan McCollum's like freed everybody to play their game. Um, everybody's opinion of baseball is pretty much attack, attack, attack. But I think we have to remember, Baz, Brendan McCollum's the guy who told, uh, who brought in. Uh, BJ Watling into the team because he thought he was one of his favorite players and he liked BJ's game, which is to be defensive and yeah. get out and fight. And Brendan McCollum also uh, told Neil Wagner to just keep bowling bouncers for overs after over after over, and yeah. it worked. Yeah. And it was a strategy. And he obviously he loves to attack. That's what he does. But he wants you to play to your strength. What yeah. works for you and be free. Like don't. Free. If your game is to lock out every ball and uh, and like frustrate the opposition into giving you loose deliveries, which you cash in on, um, because you feel like you back your mental you know mental strength over theirs, then yeah, he will back you to do that. He's not gonna get ang yeah, he's not gonna put you out to dry if you get a few low scores here and there where you're eating up a lot of deliveries. No, and I feel like it's freer for him to do that in Test match cricket. No, I understand, and and yeah, saying that baseball, Brendan McCullum's philosophy is attack, 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 is missing the point. It is, as you say, it's about being playing to your strengths and feeling free to do that, like feeling free to play your game. And it is a little bit like bringing back to the Blackburns, you know, the same thing, which is we're not going to have a rigid recipe for this. We all know what we want to do. Let us go out there and and find the best way to get that result given the people we have on the field and everybody should feel free to to play to the best of their ability to achieve that goal yeah i think a lot of people have said things like oh let's see how they do in australia with this method or how they do against india and you know mm -hmm. rolling uh you know in those dust balls let me point out they were not winning those games when they weren't playing basketball exactly and they were losing games at home to New Zealand. Exactly. You know, like, and they smashed New Zealand yeah. with baseball. Like, a year later, exactly. New Zealand was spending... They're extenuating circumstances. I think New Zealand did some very bad tactics instead of going, you know, changing into a more one-day style feel mm. uh, to counter baseball. And, like, obviously, Kyle Jamieson getting injured. Those were all... You know, extenuating circumstances, but yeah, they won fair and square. No, and, yeah. uh, and they won by playing their game, and I think that's the big thing. I think the, uh, England have been the best white ball team since 2018, at least, in my opinion. Yeah, um, they came very close in the Champions, uh, the uh, Ch Champions Trophy 2018. They just lost to Pakistan, who then went on to win that trophy. Um, 2019, they famously or infamously beat him. <laughs> yeah, okay, the best cricket match of all time yeah. that I've ever watched That's in still... my life. I did not. I wasn't there when they played the first tied test or the second tied test, but, but this is surely up there. Yeah, I, I think I still refute the the concept of them beating us, but yes, they did win. Yes. Okay. The, you and I agree why the rules had to be the way they were. Yeah, no, it's not a 
Yeah. We understand why the rules are the way they are. There's no, yeah. like, uh, if we take our black caps off, he <laughs> understands. Those are fair enough rules. Yeah. They have the, to, you have to have some way of, of, you know, separating out them. And that's the rules to begin with, as we said, I think, at the time. Those are the rules. How they deal with rolling super overs, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, super overs are, yeah. It was like it was an incredible match, and I don't think like I couldn't sleep for like almost a day and a half after that game. Yeah, because it was like living in my head rent free. Yeah. The yeah. other part is the t the World Cup in 2021. Uh, they were the best team. We just happened to beat them in the semi-final. Yeah. Um, I mean, because they batted first. Because yeah, they, lost, they lost the toss. Exactly. Uh, 2021 T20 yeah, World Cup is very much a, a tournament of win the toss. Who won the toss. Who won the toss. You win the toss, bat second, you're going to win. Right. Yes. Yeah. And the 2022 World Cup, they won because they were better than every other team, I think. Yeah. And showed it in the semis. They smashed the semis and they smashed the finals. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, um, I think that really does underpin their, their strengths. Like, they just were clearly a lot better. And they did it without players like Bearstow, Stokes, who were injured, mm. and uh, they did it with Alex Curran, who was, like, the fourth-choice bowler. They didn't have Reese Topley. They didn't have uh, Tymal Mills. They didn't have Jofra Archer. Like, yeah. And they still were head and shoulders better than everybody else. Like, they lost to Ireland, yes. T you're going to lose T20 games. That is the nature of the game. There is a lot more run random... Random number yeah. generator um, impacts on that, right, where things can sort of just conspire yeah. against you. Yes, but they uh, they rightfully, I think they rightfully won that tournament uh, mm. quite easily. Um, the uh, and they're currently the only team to have held both to hold both. Uh, uh, ODI and T20 World Cups, and I think right, deservedly so. Um, and ODIs, they've, they've basically, this is why they're so good at baseball. They've basically, the, they're the team that goes at five and a half runs and over between the overs 10 and 30. Yeah. I, right? Before, and everybody else treats those as like a bit of a ceasefire. You know, it becomes a phony war. Yeah, yeah. And they wait for like the death to start. Um, and not not every team has that hitting power that the English team have, by the way. Yeah. So they do, um, and this is why they can do that in Test match cricket. I think everybody going like, oh, baseball's going to be. Oh no, who else has England's level of white ball hitting skills that they've shown? Like maybe India, maybe India. Yeah. Other than them, who does? Like, not New Zealand, not Pakistan, not Australia, not South Africa. No. Like, England, New Zealand have a good ODI batting lineup, I think. Um, and they can compete with, I think, uh, if, it, if it's a very good batting pitch, I, th I think New Zealand can be competitive against a team like India and Australia. But I think if it's a very good batting pitch, and England beats everybody. Yeah. Like, they don't, their batting lineup is just too strong. Like, if it's only in a match like that uh, 2019 World Cup final where 240 was a good score. Yeah. 
like because the ball was moving enough and you were getting enough movement off the pitch and you know you could develop pressure from that it was you know um, but you know if it's like a flat pitch you know ba even balance not much movement mm, England are gonna pwn you pretty much yeah, yeah and you, if you don't have any leg spinners you know England are gonna pwn you <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think we, it'll be interesting to see what happens after they're not going to qualify for the Cricket World Cup uh, Test World Championship final this year, um, but we shall see if uh, what happens uh, because South Africa getting a draw in that final game against Australia means that they are not guaranteed to make the final now, and if uh, if India sweep them and Sri Lanka. Uh, managed to beat South Africa at home, I believe, then it'll be an India-Sri Lanka final. How incredible will that be for the Sri Lankan test team? That is crazy. It really is. Uh, but we'll go a bit further into that because that's going to come in, in the next few months. It's going to yeah, be yeah. an interesting few months of cricket. But So basically, baseball, England, two things, I think. They're still going to continue. Baseball is going to continue dominating the game and I think England's white ball dominance is going to continue. They're my favorites to win the 2023 World Cup in India. Yeah, I, I think so as well. I think all that we talked about there is, is, is why. So yeah, England's yeah. white ball dominance is almost assured. Um, so being a nice Black Caps supporter, I hope that we can do better than, than expected. A tournament in India suits you know, New Zealand, I think, because That's... New Zealand are pretty good in Indian conditions, as they've shown. Yeah. Team are pretty good against spin bowling, and like, okay, India are the best spin bowling lineup in the in the world at the moment. So, and New Zealand are okay against them. So. Yeah. No, I think we'll New Zealand will do reasonably well, but yes, it, yes. I do expect England to also be doing extremely well, um, and you say. And, and baseball I see is just continuing to shape test cricket. Um, yes. Even if, though I see Brendan McCullough doesn't actually like the term baseball, but well, you may have to put up with this. You may just have to put up with it. Staying yeah. on with cricket, we're going to go into the first country to ever play international cricket, yeah. the USA. <laughs> yes. Now, they have been lots of things moving around. Things have been threatening for years for there to be a big cricket tournament in the US it's got there's so many people every single World Cup since the 90 uh, since the 99 World Cup onwards the most number of tickets sold to overseas uh, uh, attendees were from the USA all right so after the host countries most the visiting the biggest visiting uh, contingent were all from America yeah. which when you think about it shouldn't be surprising no. and they uh, have incredible viewing numbers for cricket. Um, one of the reasons why the CPL do as well as they do, yeah, is because of their good, excuse me, time zones for uh, for uh, U.S. audience. So they have basically come up with their T20 franchise league, uh, major league cricket and minor league cricket. Uh, minor league cricket has just finished their first. Uh, tournament, second, uh, second tournament, tournament, yes. Um, 
and Major League Cricket got delayed, and they, uh, but they are about to start their first uh, first tournament this year. But it's been going on for ages. I've managed to get a bunch of very high-profile players, including players like Cor Corey Anderson. Oh yeah, um, no, I heard that too. Yes. And the uh, the teams are going to play all their games in uh, Grand Prairie Stadium in Texas near Dallas, um, starting in July, and then it'll slowly go from there. Um, it's going to be uh, very. It's, things are going to change in the uh, in America when it comes to cricket. We're fine. Like cricket's already a very popular sport, there, despite what people may think. I mean, we're talking about people investing like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella, Ross Perot Jr., yeah. uh, the son of the founder of EDS, um, and I'm sure EDS, which is owned by HP, now probably have a you know know how popular cricket is because of the sheer number of uh, people from the subcontinent who work in yeah. uh, work in their company and the t currently they've got six teams based in Atlanta, Chicago, Los Angeles, New Jersey, New York and uh, San Francisco uh, I think San, San Francisco uh, yeah I think so so We'll see how it works out. Oh, sorry, no, no, the inaugural, uh, uh, sorry, the inaugural teams are going to be based in Dallas, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, New York, San Fran, and Seattle. Ah, yeah. So it's all like either tech hubs or places where there's a lot of like you know subcontinent immigrants. So it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And grow from there. And it's gonna. It's already the second biggest tournament in terms of TV rights deal that they've managed to secure. And the fact that they have a minor league. Um, which is going to be the feeder league feeding into this. That's just going to grow the game in incredibly. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty cool concept they've got going there. Yeah, and the minor league. It's now a possibility for people of West Indian subcontinent heritage, and then eventually, like, not people outside these heritages who are like, you know can play you know who play cricket can go play in because co now colleges are have have the NCAA have a cricket tournament which is been funded by Shivnarin Chandapal amongst other people mm, and right. then it's uh, uh, from there you move on to like a minor league system and then go into the major league I think it's it's really well thought out I think it fits the American uh, sporting space as well and I think we are probably uh, gonna see a revolution with cricket if we're gonna have two hubs like the BCCI rules the cricketing world but if the USA becomes a major player in cricket that's gonna be that's where the major spanner in the works are coming from the USA yeah from this if this league becomes a, a big thing and uh, even if the USA never become a test playing country they will be a big player if there's people they're attracting players to come in with lots of money and you know yeah exactly and they and it's an alternate to playing for the IPL um, yeah, yeah. then yeah uh, it's interesting times coming ahead for cricket and yeah. if 
Major League Cricket succeeds, and I think it will, because the people involved are all very incredibly smart uh, business people who have been very successful. Uh, so yeah, we will see that coming. Now, moving on, the next and last cricket-related thing <laughs> that we think, because it's also related, it's going to relate to the next theme, which is ownership. Um, yeah. So speaking of successful people who own um, sports franchises, the uh, the Glazer family have bought a cricket team. Wow. So this is a bit of a saga. They kind of went to the try and buy an IPL franchise when the expansion teams, the Lucknow, um, uh, the Lucknow Super Giants, and the uh, Gujarat Lions were founded. Mm -hmm. um, it's an interesting thing. They, it was embarrassing for them in the end because they put in the lowest bid. Like they specifically just went in with the advice of finance people to, because my understanding is Avram Glazier just told Joel to go buy a cricket team. All right. Um, he went there and he was just following the advice of the financiers. Like, yep, yep, this is the right price, and they had the lowest bid. Oh. So and also yeah. they were the only people to bid more for the Lucknow franchise than they bid for the uh, the Gujarat franchise which you know, Gujarat is Ahmedabad one of the biggest cities in in India Lucknow is a big city obviously we're talking about Indian cities here but it doesn't have anywhere near the you know big cultural reach and you know financial reach that Ahmedabad does right yeah yeah uh, so the two franchise, the two franchises, they do, they failed to buy those two franchises. I'm I'm surprised they didn't try to buy a women's team because that would have been their next thing. But instead, they bought a team in the UAE Super League. Yeah. Now that's an unsanctioned league technically because the UAE are not a test playing country, and yeah. their T20 tournaments doesn't count in T20 sets, whatever that means. Because technically, the ICC don't are not the ones who collect the stats anyway. <laughs> it, uh, it's the Association of Cricket Statisticians and Record record Keepers. And if yeah. they decide to count it, they will. Yeah. And it ain't nothing much the ICC can say about it. Because they don't look at sanctions, uh, what's, whether it's a sanctioned league or not. They look at whether or not the quality of the competition is comparable. Yeah, yeah. And boy, is it comparable. <laughs> There, this current window we have the BBL, the South African uh, uh, T20 league, and the uh, UAE leagues all being played. And the UAE leagues are the teams, are the leagues that are paying the most. So obviously it's going to attract the best players. Yeah. Because that's how it works. Um, like, you know, David Warner almost went to play in the UAE because right. you know the BBL, the BBL in the end, uh, Cricket Australia had to make a deal to let them stay and play um, the way it's with the UAE league uh, and to be quite uh, uh, to be quite fair to the Glaziers who are people I have um, absolutely pillicked before Desert Vipers are doing pretty well in the <laughs> right. uh, in the league at the moment um, so they're captained by Colin Munro, coached by James Foster. Very um, decent team, and they're currently, I believe, top of the tournament. So, yeah, good on them. They might win the inaugural league. Um, the 
current uh, like it's only a matter of time before the UAE league does get uh, does get the sanctioning because you know three yeah. of the three of the franchises are owned by um, IPL owners so yeah <laughs> uh, that tells you all you need to know oh actually uh, four of them because Mumbai Indians also have a franchise all right so there you go. Oh no! I thought the Giants team, the uh, Golf Giants, were owned by the uh, by the people who own the Lucknow Giants, but no, they're not. So it's it's only the three. But the three IPL owners own franchises there. They're gonna get yeah. The record holders are gonna keep it up. And yeah, you know, we're talking about the Knight Riders and Mumbai Indians, who are like the two two of the most successful team you know, uh, franchises in the IPL. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They are uh, amongst the two most successful. Uh, then you... Uh, so, with them owning an, uh, a franchise as well in cricket, and they're showing interest, uh, if American owners start uh, in buying into cricket franchises around the world, things in cricket are going to change. That yeah shift of balance of power between India and America in world cricket, we might be one day talking about a big four when it comes to cricket. Yeah. Like, I don't know how soon it'll be before the Americans have a super competitive team, but they're going to be a super important cricket playing country, cricket country. Yeah, yeah. And just to remind everyone, the 2024 T20 World Cup is being hosted by the West Indies and the USA. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, oh. yeah, it's going to be important and it's going to be interesting, as you say. Um, say, it could be that they are one of the. You say they could be part of the, the new big four without having a, a, a big four team. All it will take is for the United States to do. If the United States team in, let's say, the 2024, because there's 2028 Olympics is going to have cricket. Yeah. Uh, the. Sorry, the 2028 uh, Olympics in LA is gonna have uh, cricket. The 2032 Olympics in Brisbane is definitely gonna have cricket, and there is a rumor that cricket is gonna be at the Olympics at in the Paris Games in 2024. Oh, that'd be so interesting. If, if one of those Summer Olympics, the United States team happens to to have a run, make the semis, or you know, yeah, does something. Maybe it doesn't even have to win, make the semis, right? It could just win a couple of games against one yeah. of the, the actual cricket teams. That's yeah. probably enough to to propel that up a bit. Yeah. So, once the uh, Olympic Games... Yeah. The cricket at the Olympic Games are is going to be a game-changer. We know this. Yes, definitely. Um... Okay, now I've just confirmed they've officially said that they are the Paris games are not going to have it because right. yeah. they, it's too late to get that in. Um, yeah, that's what I was thinking as well. That's a lot of lot of organizing very quickly in the heck that in. But the so but they are the the LA games are very very interested in mm. having um, which makes sense because the Olympics. This is how you get the subcontinent grow in the subcontinent market, right? Exactly. And 
I guess with the LA games, it may be a little bit on how well the uh, Major League Cricket goes, right? If that is shown to be be successful, which there's no reason why it won't be, um, then yeah, that, that would be a driver there for them to be like, yeah, let's include this for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And once the uh, once it gets in there, like I said, especially 2028, it's being host. The Olympics are being hosted in America, in yeah. LA. They'll have fans. So there's a. I, f I feel like there is a seismic shift coming in cricket with new players coming from the United States. Yeah. And cricket is a sport that's possibly easier for the United States to get into and become good at, become a majorly, you know, successful team than it is for, for example, football. Yeah. Like, I think, like, the USA in rugby could, you know, how we have the top 10 teams, the USA could easily become an 11th team. Yes. Eleven, maybe 12, 11th and 12th with Japan, like, that's, you know, that's very possible, like, given the way it works but cricket yeah cricket is even more viable in america commercially than rugby is yeah yeah no i can see how it's very commercially viable in america for cricket. now just to be clear when we go this topic of the glaciers moves on to our next topic the americans and sport owning sports teams in uh, in English football. That's not a new thing, but they're <laughs> all selling their teams. Yeah. So apart from Todd Bowley and that, the group that own Chelsea, um, they have obviously bought... Um, now, I think we have to say there are extenuating circumstances with um, the fact that the war in Ukraine led up to this. Yeah. The fact that a club like Chelsea got on the market. Loman Abramovich would not have sold Chelsea if he did not... Um, if he wasn't forced to, basically. If he wasn't forced to. And let's just say, for realistically, Chelsea is not intended primarily as a profit-making venture under the ownership of Roman Abramovich. It was many ways, it was possibly a money laundering, not money laundering, but at least a money-storing venture. So yeah. Roman Abramovich just didn't need it to be losing heaps of money, but it's a place for him to convert his quote-unquote black money into <laughs> white money. <laughs> or Russian money into money stored in outside Russia legally. Yeah, yeah. I mean that was always the, the the money laundering thing was always the allegations thrown around early on. But I think it's more what you're saying there at the end there, which is not so much yeah black money turning to white, but yeah Russian money turning to not Russian money, <laughs> which I think for him was more important. It was just how he got his money out of Russia. Exactly. And the second thing is, let's be honest, Chelsea Football Club under Abramovich was the most successful sports washing enterprise in the history of sports <laughs> Like, it legitimized Russian business in the West. It really did, yeah. Like, it opened doors for people to come in, not just buy sports teams, but to invest in companies and, like, start up, open up startups and all these other things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you say, it started off with a lot of, you know, bad press and bad, um, not bad press, but bad rumours around, press. not bad press is wrong, bad rumours around it, like a lot of people making, you know, fans making fun of it and all the rest, and saying, but it, it quickly, but I think, I 
I remember when Roman Abramovich bought Chelsea, like literally financiers were like, well, he's a billionaire. That he's, this is a hobby that he's playing. Yeah. He's bought a football team. And to be frank, if I was as rich as he was, I would do the same. 100%. And like, yeah, you know, I'm not, let's be real here. So the uh, Roman Abramovich, so Chelsea Football Club, did not need to be financially making a profit the way like no. let's be fair on Todd Bowley and he's not being dishonest about this he's like look I do care that Chelsea are successful off on the pitch I don't but that's purely motivated by profit I want to make money off Chelsea yeah and his goal other than his goal is probably that I own Chelsea for 10 years it uh, it makes it's worth about Let's say he's bought it for five billion. Um, it's worth about maybe eight to ten billion, and I sell it for that. Eight, it's worth eight billion. I sell it for ten billion. I make five billion. You yeah, know, yeah. in ten years, that's my goal. Yeah, which is fine. Like you know, uh, and that's maybe his thing. He's not potentially. He's not looking to stay at Chelsea. Uh, like you know, he, as successful as Chelsea might be, it's not recovering five billion dollars of investment. Like. No, quickly. no. Unless there's a Super League, then the game changes. It does change a bit, yes. Because, you know, if you're making 900 to a billion dollars a season in, like, revenue, then, okay, you can recover your 5 billion, the <laughs> mere 5 billion that you've paid to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, this is not a net... This is revenue, so obviously that's not the net. No, no, still. Then it's worthwhile to buy something for... This is why NFL franchises go for five to six billion, because, you know, they... From TV rights alone, they get, like, 900 million a year. Yeah. 900 to a billion a year. Okay, on top of that, whatever merch they can sell and all this other stuff, marketing and, uh, you know, contracts and other things, image rights, they'll make more money, so it's worth... Yeah. But yeah, you know, Premier League football clubs uh, like Chelsea are potentially able to do that, maybe. Maybe. But it's not quite there yet. And yeah, it's uh, so be interesting to see what he's planning to do with Chelsea. But the flip side of what tells you, like this is the thing, we had all these things about the the that they were going to introduce legislation to prevent clubs from ever forming a super league um, and that's kind of died down nothing's come from that um, we know that there's a bunch of uh, we know that Real Madrid Barcelona and Juve insist the super league will happen <laughs> we're gonna make it happen yeah. um, AC Milan and Inter Milan have basically washed their hands of it I think they're no longer interested yeah yeah the my understanding was that when the six team, the six non-English teams, were like, let's push, let's pull, let's uh, uh, pull the lever, and they approached the English teams, they didn't think the Premier League teams would agree. But all, all right. it took is for one Premier League side to go, yep. I think it was probably Manchester United. Yeah. And then everybody else had to go, yep. We can't be left behind. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like. I think Chelsea and Ma Manchester City were very much, if it's going to happen, fine. But we're reluctantly going because we don't want to be left behind in 
in the potential Super League, whereas the other four American-owned franchises, Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea, and sorry, Spurs, Arsenal, uh, uh, Manchester United, and Liverpool, mm. were all like, yep, sounds good. Yeah. No a league with no relegation? Excellent. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sort um, of showed at the time, right? It's in, it was, yeah, those other ones that sort of pushed along and then once, you know, the pressure came on, it was it was like the City and, and Chelsea that were pulling back first and then it was suddenly, all the rest sort of had to pull out as well because yeah, they couldn't be seen not to be doing it, so. Yeah. And so the fact that the Liverpool owners and the Manchester United owners both uh, are selling. It's, I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't. I think they believe it will be impossible for English clubs to join the Super League. And I think probably England is not part of the EU anymore. And quite frankly, at the end of the day, if it becomes that, uh, if it goes that far, I can actually see the monarch going, "Yep, royal privilege. Fuck you, bitches." <laughs> Which prime minister is gonna force me to abdicate because I'm keeping football pure? Come on, come on, yeah, bring it. <laughs> Let's see how this goes for you. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think the monarch should be put in this position. By no. the way, no. And I think any monarch of the United Kingdom, and obviously they're they are also our monarch, would feel very, very reluctant to do this. It probably be heading towards a constitutional crisis really like no no constitutional he's allowed to I know he's allowed to but allowed to. that's why it'll be a crisis <laughs> because they'll be allowed to if the but minister agrees then it's not a constitutional crisis yeah, but that's what I mean it, with him. <laughs> yeah if he agrees with it, it's fine but it'd be heading towards but that if it was somewhere yeah because you know people with money will go ah but it's not legal there are codes of law the king can't just say blah and parliament can't just say blah yeah exactly <laughs> fair enough like you and i don't want to live in a country where technically the governor general or the prime minister can go yeah rules schmools <laughs> no what the issue is <laughs> I mean, right? Like, not to get into too much of a um, political discussion, but technically, we do live in a country where that can happen. It's just yeah, a yeah. bit more of a The Minister of New Zealand doesn't even have checks and balances. <laughs> they can just do what they want. <laughs> the Supreme Court can go, "That's illegal," and the Prime Minister goes, "That's nice." The, the Prime Minister, well, no, the Prime Minister goes, "Oh, you say that's legal, right? One moment, please. Just, just one moment. Next day, okay. Under urgency, we passed this law, which said that." What the Supreme Court said was illegal was actually was actually legal and was always legal, and they're just full of rubbish. So sorry, Supreme Court, you're full of rubbish. And basically, as I said, Pat, nice. Yeah. Thank you. We'll figure it out now. Yeah. Thanks. You know. <laughs> and there's no there's no checks and balances in New Zealand. Technically, England has checks and balances with the Commons and the Lords and like yeah. the monarch. Yeah, but at the end of the day, even if all three of those bodies, like you lived in a country where the you know, prime minister and the king goes, mm, you're all schmools, that you don't want that. No, you don't want that. For whatever reason, yeah. uh, they might be using that rule. 
like very extenuating circumstances that would that be okay like you know we're yeah. being invaded yeah that sort of thing but yeah so that's Americans selling and Americans buying but the wider thing here is I think the Blaziers uh, and the owners of Liverpool have basically realized that their model for making money while owning the club, which was probably the Super League, is not viable. And I don't think mm. they believe an English team can go. But does Todd Bowley believe that he could join the Super League? I was like, okay, I'll, let's be fair to Todd Bowley. If it's a case of like, you know, four other English teams have said yes, and he's like, I don't want to be left behind. I'm, I'm not going to blame Todd Bowley for no, that. No, no. That's what Sheikh Mansour had to do with City, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that uh, is that is the case, right? If others are going, then you sort of have to go. It's not a, a lot of options left. But if the... Uh, if the... To, uh, uh, but is he one of those people, do you think, that would push the... Let's uh, be a Malcolm Glazer type going, yep, let's push it, let's go. I mean, if he moves to the Super League, like Chelsea are no longer called Chelsea because the pitch owners will tell him to fuck right off. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Because <laughs> I think Chelsea were going to go into the Super League being called, you know, West London Dragons or something like that. Allowed <laughs> to keep the crest or keep the name. <laughs> oh dear. Or play in Stamford Bridge. Yeah. Um. No, I think I think Bowley's brought Chelsea knowing these things. And so I would think it'd be unlikely he'd be one of the ones pushing to get it to work. It yeah. It wouldn't take a lot of pushing or prodding once other teams started jumping on board for him to get on board. Um and he probably wouldn't be as quick getting off board if once again it became clear that um pressure was mounting not to do it or that they they couldn't force their way through it in some way. Um, but I don't think he'll be quite as, as quick to get on board and pushing the go button. But we'll wait for others to, to join before he starts. And he just yeah. won't. Like, Chelsea under Abramovich the first time around with the Super League were very reluctant. And like City. Yeah, with two members of you resigned. Yeah, it was extremely reluctant. And it was like, okay, we are only doing this because everybody else is doing it. I think... With a tall bowly type Chelsea, it'll be a much more neutral one, which is okay. We're not, we're not going to jump in, but we're also we're, we're not going to start it. But if it's beginning, we're not we're going to join. Yeah, we're gonna, they're going to join pretty quickly. And as I remember, the first time around, there was some discussions around the the owners of those top six or so, anyway. And Chelsea were the ones, and City were like, no, this, we shouldn't do this. But I sort of feel if those discussions happen now, Bowley would be like, eh, eh. Either way, I'm good. So, yeah. yeah. So it'll be interesting, but I think you're right though that if if a Super League if it does find its way through, I don't think there'll be English teams. I think so too. Um, interestingly, another American person did buy a team, which was uh, the people who bought Bournemouth. Uh, All right. Who, I can't remember his name, but he did say he thought it was a bargain because it was cheaper than buying an MLS franchise. Which <laughs> Yeah. And I think he's already made more money than he would from an MLS franchise. Wow. Um, 
So he's quite happy. I think Bournemouth, obviously, they're probably getting relegated this year. You and I both agreed with that. But they could easily come back in again. I think they're a very well-run organization and have a good setup. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, with uh, the Premier League being as big as it is, I think it goes on to our next big thing. And this is going to be a huge conversation that kind of goes on throughout this year and maybe next year. Super League shenanigans. Yeah. Still going on. It is still going on. Barcelona are still technically trying to get the Super League to happen. They are suing UEFA and they might win at case. It's looking like they won't more than they will, but yeah, that could, I guess, still. Their arguments for Monopoly is not unfair. Like, I can disagree with why they're doing it, uh, and I don't like it, but they're not... They're basically saying UEFA are not allowing UEFA are a monopoly, not allowing us yeah. to do what we want. Why should we have to play in a UEFA league if UEFA sanctioned European league? Why can't we just play normal Spanish league and do our own thing in Europe if we don't want to play in the UEFA world? Yeah, they it's just allowed bully us into it. It does seem like most of the legal experts coming out and and rulings and and non-binding stuff so far, but that it doesn't... Um, that UEFA is not a legal monopoly, basically. Most of the, the rulings so far, non-binding, uh, have been that the Super League is, is wrong. Yeah. But, as you say, these are, are not the official verdicts yet. Yeah, there's no official verdicts. Obviously, they're going to go all the way to the final court of appeals. Mm. Uh, Court, so we shall see the space when that happens, when and if that happens. In that time, like, so basically, since Bars Atletico are the only Spanish club to officially leave the Super League, mm. um, luckily they're very much staying quiet. But it's everybody says behind closed doors, Atletico is giving all their moral support to Barcelona and Real Madrid, and they're all basically right. as soon as you guys get the Super League up and running. We're here we come again. Because Barcelona and Real Madrid are technically now suspended from the board meetings and they don't attend anymore because they're like, yeah, you guys are biased against us. La Liga's made a bunch of rules about how money, TV money is shared in the league <laughs> and made it more equitable. Uh, all these reforms that Barcelona and Real Madrid were blocking for decades are getting passed through. Go figure, right? So this is gonna um, interestingly change things. Mm. Um, Juve is doing having the same thing happen in Syria. Um, Juve have also, as kind of, I think, I think they have been deducted 15 points in the league for shenanigans when it comes to lying about FFP stuff. Now that okay. is the sheer extent of what the Syria can punish them, like, because, you know, football stuff. Juve are still in trouble, and the board are still very much in trouble, because Juventus are a club that are floated on the stock exchange, and apparently they lied about the fact that their players were taking a pay cut during the COVID times. Oh. Which, Ooh. basically, they said, publicly, they all went, yeah, yeah, we're taking a pay cut, and yeah. 
blah blah to help the club stay afloat and then they're like oh we'll pay you later on off the books all right well okay. and if you're on a stock exchange yeah that's shenanigans that people are going to check like it's definitely like the fact that people uh, that the pe authorities are investigating because it's super difficult to get anyone convicted of a white-collar crime especially fraud and, like, yeah yeah this sort of thing um so the fact that they're actually going ahead is already problematic for the board like they all resigned so juventus are in a bit of a shambles yeah at the moment um and they're obviously not going to make your if they're going to make more money because they're not going to be they probably a 15 point deduction um but if they do get done for fraud as well they could be relegated back to Serie B. Maybe. I, it, it's a, it's infuriating to say that Juventus did all this to post-COVID. When you think about the fact that, like, AC Milan basically spent the last two seasons, like, looking for every piece, looking for coins in the back of the sofa, like, scrounging their mates for whatever they could lend them. Yeah. You know, selling what bits they could sell to, and then they managed to win the league last year. You know, yeah. like Inter are not in that same position because they have a very rich owner. But you know, whereas Juve were just breaking the rules, <laughs> straight up breaking the rules. Uh, and they didn't even get. They came fourth after breaking the rules. <laughs> uh, did they come fourth or fifth? No, they came fourth, didn't they? Fourth, yeah. Yeah, I'll say so. So that already tells you, like, yeah, like, it's, uh, it's like I said, it's incredibly, like, uh, uh, infuriating that Juve, the, the people who run Juve did this. Um, I would not shed a tear if they were to get relegated. Again, they deserve it. Uh, yeah. But they keep cheating. Um, and the, uh, the next, uh, and it's gonna be very difficult. Like, Juventus might be forced to join the Super League if it happens, if they get yeah. into fraud, because, you know, they could, they could be further relegations um, on issues with how they did things. Yeah, now, exactly. If, as a ending note with the Super League, because we can't, how do you, assuming the English teams don't join the Super League, what do you think, what teams do you think, if you had like a 20, 18 to 20 team Super League that could be get, get mm. as much eyeballs and attention as a Super League like this would be actually competitive with the Premier League. What would that look like? What clubs do you think? Obviously, I think, yeah, obviously Real Madrid, Barcelona, yep. Yeah. you got to get the Bayern, uh, Bayern Munich. Well, I don't think any German can join. No, they can't. That's a good point. German clubs can't do. Ooh, we can, this could be hard. Just ignore clubs that will not be able to join. Like yeah. PSG can join now that the World Cup is over. Their Qatari owners might be a bit more yeah. inclined to join the kids. You'd have to get the Italian clubs and Spanish clubs, uh, French Juventus, clubs. Napoli. Let's just argument sake. If those two go, the two Milan clubs go. Yeah, fine. We'll yeah. Or the leader. Um. I don't know if you can get the Roma and Lazio along as well. Roma and Lazio, that would give you 10 clubs. That mm. would give you a 6 clubs for Italy. 
Yeah. We've got three clubs from Spain, maybe another Spanish club, maybe Espanol. So yeah. Two, uh, maybe Valencia. Yeah. Yeah. Just thinking things that might have decent followings as well, so you can get eyeballs on, like not just followings in Spain or in France or in Europe, but eyeballs outside of of Europe as well. So that's what you need if the Super League is going to succeed. It needs to have worldwide appeal, right? So you need to have football names that come from that. Do you think the three big three Portuguese clubs? Portugal's going up in the rankings as well in yeah. the league. It's big, the big three in Portugal could potentially be given an offer they can't refuse. Yeah, exactly. You need those. Uh, maybe Ajax? Ajax, definitely. I think if you can get them. Maybe PSV if you get Ajax. Yeah, maybe I think. Maybe you can get Ajax. Yeah, I think the three of them. You've got to get a few more French clubs in there. So, Lyon, Marseille. Monaco. Monaco. Would you? I think obviously that's for argument's sake. We'll just say the Scottish teams can't. Yeah. Because the English teams can't, the Scottish teams can't. But if Scotland become independent <laughs> and join the EU, maybe you get Rangers and Celtic in there as well. Well, that would definitely give them their their worldwide appeal, right? Yes. I mean, they're not successful clubs now, but they're definitely well-known clubs. I mean, yeah. Not at Barcelona, Madrid, you know, PSG, Juventus yeah. are giving you really big star power worldwide. Um, I think eventually, once the Russian football teams are allowed to compete again, maybe you'd have clubs like Zenit and uh, maybe Spartak or CSK. Yeah, yeah, that's other ones. It's some of from Turkey, the big yeah. three from Greece. There's a yeah. bunch of teams to bring in there. Central Europe has some yeah. there. Like, there's places where they would... Yes, so there's definitely teams out there you can make a pretty viable Super League. I don't know whether you'd be... Okay. Like, at the moment, people like us, we do watch games that seem interesting to us. We'll watch a Brentford versus Brighton to be like, hmm, that could be an interesting game. Like, I want to see yeah. different philosophies in action. In the USA, I think the thing, like, in uh, the, what the Premier League has done really well with La Liga, outside of El Clasico and a few other, like, rivalries, Espanol, Barca, Atletico, Real, yeah. and Real Barca, or Atletico uh, Barca. Yeah. The, you know, if you watch Barcelona play Ibar, hardly anyone's watching it. But you know, no. people watch Wolves versus United, for example, or yeah. Brighton versus Chelsea. Yeah. And from that, your people are because people watch those other teams. They'll people will start going, oh yeah, I kind of like this Brighton team, or I kind of like this Wolves team, Brentford. Team and you know those clubs have started getting a following as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So even like a club like Everton have a bunch of international fans yeah. who follow them and like 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 the team. 
which I think La Liga, you know, they were dominant economically for a while, but they basically concentrated the dominance in the hands of the big three. Yeah, and really it was the big two with the third one just sort of Atletico eventually yeah. pushed its way into it. But yeah, yeah, no. I mean, La Liga was always Barcelona and Real Madrid. Those are the those were its big eggs and its big basket. And like even now, like the Premier League is thing that's been built up slowly. Like I don't think a Super League can come in and compete immediately. It would take a bit of time for them to yeah develop the brand. Be- like just think, like the Premier League has every good manager other than Carlo Ancelotti playing in, <laughs> you know, working there now. And Carlo Ancelotti had worked there before, and like you know, a couple of seasons ago was like at Everton. Like he's the Real Madrid manager. He was managing Everton. Yeah. And, like, you know, Unai Emery took Villarreal to the semi-finals of the Champions League. He's in Aston Villa. Yeah. You know, uh, and I think Emery's a good coach. Obviously, Loptegi's a really good coach, I think. Yeah. Um, Via to Europa League. Uh, the um, And then, like, you know, Diego Simeone's the other big good manager who's not in the Premier League at the moment. And, you know, he's going to be because yeah. he's leaving Atletico. Season. Yeah. I mean, okay, Zidane's not there, but you know, if Zidane gets another club job, if he's not going for the France job, that's he's probably going to work in England. I, I like how you're just dissing Mourinho by you know, non, uh, not including him in the big managers, not working in the, the EPL. Well, Uncle Mo will come back to England at some point, oh, right? There's there's big rumors I saw today that potentially he'll be. In for a third go at Chelsea, come the summer. <laughs> come on, let's go. Third time's the charm, though. I don't. I think Uncle Mo, if it was Abramovich, hundred percent. Hundred percent. I think yeah. he would come back. I, know, I think Uncle Mo, you could see him. At, like, not that he's at, been at a club like Roma and he's played with a club that doesn't have an unlimited budget and done well with them. Mm. I could see Uncle Mo go to a club like. No, it's it's from Everton. him. Why not? No, it's from him. He's the one saying, Mo's saying that he wants to come back to Chelsea. He's like, I want to come back. <laughs> Apparently, Chelsea's like, no, <laughs> just no. But he's like, I mean, oh, I want to come back. And Chelsea, come on, England's good. I'll come back to Chelsea. Like, then I'll have some money. It's exactly that. Like, Roma, they don't have enough money for me. I can't buy who I want. So he's he's trying to weasel his way in. But um. He could go somewhere else, you say Everton, West Ham as well. Um, we'll be looking for a new manager relatively soon. Um, I think so. Everton have Sean Dyche, just as we speak. Yeah, oh, okay. I, very good, very good call oh, for Everton to get Sean Dyche. That's a very good I feel one. bad for Super Frank. Yeah. I think he's done, he did really well at Chelsea his first season there. He followed the brief, and then, you know, Robin mm. Abramovich changed the brief. Yeah. On him. And then the his first season at Everton, I think he did a very credible job to keep them up. I hope I hope Super Frank gets the job at like the championship to properly do his thing. Yeah. But if John Dyche is at Everton, I mean I think Everton has Wayne Rooney written on it eventually, right? Like yeah. <laughs> he eventually become their manager. Yeah. And I mean with I mean, Mo- if- Uncle Mo anyway, he won't be going till the summer, so 
anybody that's yeah. looking now, that's not the ones. It'll be okay. depending on how things go over summer. Yeah. Uncle Mo, until you're back coaching a Champions League club, I can't consider you in the elite tier. Okay, at least a Europa League club. <laughs> okay, he's in the Europa League he's now. Just to say he, won the, he won the Conference League last season. Uh, yeah, you ought to be in the Champions League at least. Or at least win the Europa League. Then I'll be like, yep. Hey, he's only one point off um, Champions League currently with Roma. Yes, yes. I fully expect him to get Roma and back. And, and he's got a game in hand as well. There you go. Yeah. He's done a very credible job at Roma, and I yeah, think yeah. he could very much... I don't know, which team would be looking for a manager now? In the summer? Chelsea. I mean, really, given the way things are going at the moment. No, I don't think Chelsea yeah. will. Unlikely. They're... I think we'll keep um, Potter. But... Right, uh, Graham Potter, but yeah. if he doesn't get better results next season, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's, I think he'll be given another... Given to about this time next oh, year. Oh, is he going to come back to Spurs? Because I think Thomas Tuchel will say no to Spurs. Because <laughs> <laughs> Conte's leaving Spurs, right? Like, we know this. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Because, <laughs> come on, Spurs always get a Chelsea manager. That's just the way it is. Like, like Glenn Hoddle, Andres Villas-Boas, uh, Mourinho, Mourinho, <laughs> Conte. Come on. Tuchel must be like, nah, nah. <laughs> but if Tuchel goes to Spurs... <laughs> oh dear. And Spurs are also a club that's probably going to be sold, so we'll see. Maybe, yeah. So they could also get a new manager. Like, well, Speaking of which, we will go through a football thing, but like, just before we finish the shout-out, shout-out to... The Southampton manager Nathan Jones, what? Ward Prowse as a number 10? It's genius! <laughs> like, it was obvious. Now that you see it, you're like, oh, it should have been obvious. That's where he should have played all along. <laughs> yeah, well. Some of those things are, yeah, obvious. Like, the, I guess. It's like Ten Hag playing Luke Shaw at centre back. You're like, hey! <laughs> that was. Oh, okay. No, you've basically put. Uh, Holland in your pocket. Okay, I see what. Yeah. yeah. Sorted it out. Pretty much. But yes, well, thank you. I think that's all we have time for now. Um, yeah. Thank you very much uh, for listening, and look forward to hearing uh, to s seeing you all next time. Catch you next time. Well, that is the end. Thanks for listening all the way through. If you liked what you heard, be even more. Find Six Four Two Discord and a buy me a coffee. Pretty sure it's buy me a beer. Oh yeah, buy me a beer on buymeacoffee.com. In both these places, you can talk to us, and we may even listen. Especially if you do buy a said beer or coffee, I might still be confused. Yes, we're easily bribed. All links are in the show notes below. Don't forget to like and subscribe. This is on YouTube. <laughs>